The Habitats of the Mara Triangle. This is the Wild Eye Podcast. Hey everybody, my name is Jerry, I'm from Wild Eye, and in this episode I'm going to take you through the various habitats, or biomes if you will, of the Mara Triangle. Now, I've been visiting the Mara Triangle for almost 12 years now, and our Mara camp is actually right now in the process of being set up as I record this. And if you visited, you will know that it's not just about the river. It's not just about the grasslands. There's a lot more to this place. And as with anything in life, the more you know, the better it gets. So I'm referring here to a little booklet called the Masai Mara, the Mara Triangle Official Guide by David Watson. Now, if you do come on safari with us, please let me know and we can arrange one of these for you. It's a very handy little booklet on the area, the reserve, the Masai, the history, and so on and so forth. But I'm going to go through some of the biomes in the Mara Triangle just as a bit of a background info to make your experience richer for when you eventually get there. Now, appreciating the relationship between animals and their habitat is the most important key to understanding animal behavior in the Mara Triangle. That goes for pretty much any wildlife uh, destination. Habitats or biomes result from a wide combination of factors, starting with the geology and soils, then the climate, especially variations in rainfall amount and frequency. The availability of surface water is another factor which affects vegetation, as are the influences of both other animals and man. The result is a series of ecosystems or biomes, some of which exist largely on their own and others which gradually merge into others with no distinct boundaries. Now, in the Mara Triangle, which is made up of the Ololoro Escarpment, the Tanzania border and the Mara River, that's the Mara Triangle, there are various different biomes. They are the Mara River, the riverine forest, grasslands, wetlands, woodland and bush savanna, thickets, the Ololoro Escarpment and the Inselberg country, right? So let's just look at each of these quickly and see how they're affected and how they play. So the Mara River. The river flows from the forest of the Mao Escarpment and literally never dries up. So it is the most important single aspect of all habitats in the Masai Mara. Varying from about 20 to 60 meters in width, it meanders mainly over a bit of alluvium, occasionally interrupted by bands of resident, sorry, Resistant dark-colored rock, which creates little rapids. Now, for those of you that have been with us, uh, Maui Maui Crossing Point, just north of Serena, that's where you would find those rapids where the, the wildebeest sometimes cross. The river cuts deeply into the clay soils as well, creating sheer banks of up to 10 meters, which causes havoc during the migration. Now, as an example, you would, if you go to the triangle at the peninsula crossing, you would see those high cliffs where the wildebeest sometimes jump and or fall off. Now, originally a rich forest followed the river its entire way through the triangle, with species, species such as yellow-barked acacia called fever tree by the early European settlers. Today, the zone of continuous woodland is generally confined to the river banks north of Serena. That's the main lodge, uh, one of the big lodge in the middle of the triangle. The river has a range of important functions. It is home to hundreds of hippo which spend the day in the water congregating groups called pods and which then leave the river to graze at night. There are also hundreds of huge, and I mean big-ass, Nile crocodiles, often sunning themselves on the beaches in groups, waiting for their next meals to arrive. In the dry season, the river becomes the main water source, and and it is the focus for many species, such as elephant and buffalo, which come down to the water to drink. 
Most dramatic for visitors to the Triangle is the role played by the river as an obstacle which must be crossed during the annual migration with thousands of wildebeest, zebra and Thompson's gazelle taking to the river at once. The river and the forest around it is the main focus for Mara bird life with more than four, sorry, 500 recorded species. Now, we have, an, we have our camp on the banks of the river, and even though it is a phenomenal thing to see, it's definitely one of the big five rivers in Africa, there's a lot more to the triangle. So next one up, a riverine forest biome. 60 years ago, most of the Masamara was either forested or mainly covered with bush and woodland savanna. Today, forests is limited in the triangle to a few areas of riverine woodland along the Mara River, between Serena and the Quechua airstrip that's on the northern side, around the upper Sanguaraya River, and along the Ngiroari River. Other small patches exist, often in deep ravines along the Olololo escarpment. Here we find tree story including dense, continuous stands of yellow barked fever trees, Ugandan green heart, and phoenix palms. Although the woodland is a habitat difficult for, for you to access, nevertheless, it's probably home to more species than any part of the Masamara with regards to birds, and there's also around 500 species there. So from a, from a birding point of view, if you were to combine the Mara River and the riverine forests, you're going to get some killer, killer sightings. Right. Now, I always say that if, if you speak to a young uh, person, young child, and you or think back for yourself, when you imagined Africa as a, as a kid, it was always those massive open grassland, those massive grassy plains with one or two trees. So that's the next biome or habitat we're going to look at here, the grassland habitat. For most visitors, it is the grassland biomes which most appeals. A casual look suggests homogeneity with rolling plains of red oat grass going on forever. However, in reality, the grasslands are quite varied and in different areas are used by different grazers. Grasslands vary from those on black cotton soil of marshes such as the seasonally flooded Opunyata Swamp to those of the lava-covered rolling Karoo Plain. Some areas, such as along the middle section of the Tanzania border, are based on sandy and stony quartz-based soils. In some areas, there can be considerable variation within a very small area. Now, during the annual migration, the grasslands assume a special importance and undergo an amazing process. Following the March and April rains, with the grass tall and lush throughout the Mara, an almost locust-like invasion of two million wildebeest and zebra will soon reduce this to dry stubble, removing almost every blade of fodder. Now, this also comes down to kind of how animals graze and what they do. You get selective grazing, which on close examination, it appears that the grazers do not all eat the same grass, or at least the same grass at different stages. Buffalo are relatively unselective, they'll eat anything. Zebra can cope with coarser grasses, the harder stuff. Wildebeest prefer new green shoots. Gazelle also prefer the new shoots of both grasses and herbs. Now, just the main difference here between zebra and, uh, and wildebeest. Zebra prefer coarser grasses and they can deal with it. The reason is they're a hind gut fermenter. So they've got one big stomach, which at any time can take about six liters of gastric juices. So they would eat these hard, coarse grasses, goes into the stomach, it ferments, um, and then the byproduct of this is energy for them and unfortunately a lot of gas. So that's why zebras kind of fart a lot when they run past you as well. Wildebeest, on the other hand, is a ruminant. So they would eat the new shoots, like a cow, they've got four chambered stomachs. They'll eat the grass, swallow it into the first stomach. 
where it gets digested to a certain point. They then regurgitate the chim, it's called a little ball of food, re-chew it, and then it goes through the process. So that's why you would also find it often in the migration. The zebras arrive first into an area, they eat the coarse, hard stuff at the top, and then the wildebeest, because they don't compete for the same ecological niche, they arrive later on and eat the bottom, the greener stuff. So that's the zebra and wildebeest um, uh, kind of collaboration, if you will, there. Now, the main grass species in the grasslands in the Mara um, tend to be Thamida trianda, which is red oat grass, Hyperenia rufa, which is thatch grass, and Botryocloa insculpa, which is sweet pitted grass. There's, um, and you can see those as you go, but the main one is the Thamida trianda, which is red oat grass. Now, one of the other biomes which you'll see, and we often mention this as the marshes. During a trip, we go up to the northern parts of the triangle where we go and visit the marshes for specific sightings we're looking for. Now, during and immediately after the rains, vast areas in the Mara Triangle are either flooded or are very wet. During the intervening drier months, some of these wetlands remain and it's possible to identify several types. The commonest wetlands are those shown on a map with the marsh symbols. If you look at a, a, a map of the triangle, it's generally up in the top and you've got that squiggly lines that make up the marsh. In generally, these areas with a permanently high water table, usually maintained by a stream which disappears and spread out in the swamp, as with up the Sangaraya stream. As you look over the plain in these dry season, although there may be little or no surface water, you can easily see the richer green grasses in this place. Often there are herds of elephants scattered around them enjoying the rich, juicy grass. Now, for those of you that have been, we go up to the north of the triangle to do our out of Africa breakfast. And that area up there, that's one of the marshes we speak about. It's always green. And if you go there in off season to the Mara Triangle, you tend to find the elephants a little bit everywhere scattered. But during the migration, when the wildebeest move in, to me, and this is my personal opinion, it's almost like the, wilde the, the, the elephants are like, eh, wildebeest, ew, whatever. And they move up to the marshes. And that's often we will find big, big, big herds of, um, of elephants up in those northern marshes close to Quechua Temba. A second type of wetland can be found along the Mara River, where former meanders remain as oxbow lakes, large ponds flooded in the rain, which retain water almost all year round. Many are hidden in the forests, but a few, such as the ones at Little Governors, are easily seen and form the most beautiful and peaceful environments. These oxbow lakes attract a host of water birches, egrets, herons, and jacanas, together with loads of hippos, elephants, buffalo, bushbuck around the fringes. Fringes, sorry. Now, when you do a balloon trip on our safaris, we do one balloon trip per week, and you go over from the northern part of the triangle, and you kind of, I almost said sail, you fly, uh, you're flying south west you'll see these from the top phenomenal to see now finally there is a specialist wetland where springs laden with minerals minerals rise to the surface and may flow all year the best known of these is olare meaning salt in the southern triangle wild herbivores and in the past poachers as well are attracted to salty water sometimes remaining just as a salt lick and currently every second saturday massa from the kiligori plateau above the escarpment exercise their right to bring their cattle along well-worn trails to drink the salty water. Um, that's something you'll see in Amboseli quite a bit. You don't see it all that much in the Mara because it's down in the south, uh, in the Triangle, but um, yeah, still does happen. So woodlands and bush savanna. Now this is another biome which is kind of one of the transition zones. So savanna is mainly grassland, 
and with much the same range of animal species as grassland, but it's also a landscape of scattered trees and bushes. These habitats have several important functions. They provide food for many animals, both as browsing and from the fruits, and they create shade for hot sun, which is much enjoyed by a range of species, from lion to elephant. In the triangle, there are several distinct savanna habitats. Now, for those of you, again, that have been to the camp, when we go up north, you have those beautiful grassland with the scattered uh, umbrella trees the, that look like little umbrellas. Phenomenal. It's, it's like out-of-Africa vibes, right? It's called a balanite tree. And those things is, to me, when I go to the triangle, that's kind of what I feel, okay, this is it. So for me, the woodland and bush savanna kind of captures the whole place. Now, balanite trees, like I mentioned, are distinctively scattered around the grassland within and both the northern and southern side of the swamps. This is an unusual landscape only found in the triangle. Balanite fruits are eaten by baboons, elephants, monkeys, and impala. These are the typical uh, trees that you see when you drive past uh, most of these open grasslands. One concern for the balanite trees is that all the trees are mature, with little evidence of young trees managing to survive. Elephants and other browsers give seedlings little chance to grow up. Clearly, the present trees grew up at a time when the balance of germinating seeds and animals was quite different. One of the many challenges facing the management of the reserve is to see how this goes. I mean, if these trees are dying out, you're going to get grasslands only. So from a management point of view, that's a challenging one for them. Now, in the far southwest of the triangle, situated just below the escarpment slope, is a beautiful area of Acacia savanna, especially Acacia gerardi. It is an area rich with wildlife, especially elephants, which feed off the Acacia and sadly cause much damage when grass is less available. Now, those areas for me is it, it is the it is the triangle. That really is just it. So in the extreme southwest, south of the Ngiroare River, is an area of acacia bush savannas, especially the distinctive whistling thorns. Now, the whistling thorn has a symbiotic relationship with um, a species of ants living in the balls, the gulls of this plant. Whenever you touch the plant, the ants come streaming out, spraying formic acid to protect their home and is also protecting the acacia. So what this looks like, if you can imagine for me, if you think of a normal acacia, you've got those two long white thorns, right? At the base of the thorn where it meets the branch, there's a big bulb. It's called a gull, like a big circular thing. And then the two thorns grow out of that. So the ants live in there. That's your symbiotic relationship. And they protect the plant then by spraying formic acid. Um, they're not always going to do that. We've seen some of these. We've spoken about it on the trips. Um, and it's, uh, it, it's called a whistling thorn because of the way the wind goes through there. But uh, that's one of the ones you can find in the extreme southwest of the, um, of the triangle. So now, next one we're moving on to is more like bushlands or thickets. So 60 years ago, most of the Masamara was covered in bushland or forest. Today, due to a combination of the damage by elephants and fire, these bushland areas are much reduced and there is now open grasslands. However, the bushland habitats which remain are an important habitat. They tend to be found around the top of the hills and along the seasonal riverbeds. On your game drives, you can pay special attention to these thickets. During the day, more often than not, this is where you may find lions and cheetah resting up. As we know, cats move around not necessarily purely as nocturnal or diurnal, but they're more controlled by temperature. So often when it gets hot, the cats will go and find these thickets and crash in there and uh, try and kind of hide away from the heat. 
And that's also why on cool overcast days, you tend to get the cats being active for much, much longer uh, into the day. All right, two more to go from a habitat or biome point of view. The Olololo escarpment. Now, this forms the western boundary of the Masamara, one side of the triangle, and it's a continuous escarpment ranging from 160 to 200 meters in height. It runs alongside a geological fault line, which is a crack in the Earth's surface, and forms the edge of a granite plateau which stretches westwards to Lake Victoria. To the east is the Masamara, made up of the ancient rocks of Africa and partly covered with, Lara, uh, with lava. The Olololo Escarpment is probably the least visited area in the Mara Triangle. However, it is rich in wildlife and well worth seeking out. That's one of the reasons why when it's quiet at the river, we go there, we drive that area. It is stunning, it is different, and like I said, it is very, very rich in wildlife. You can follow the Out of Africa track near the Olololo Gate, which is where we do our breakfast, and the track below the escarpment from Sangoraya Bridge south to Kilo 2. If you look on a map, you'll recognize these or the road to the anti-poaching outpost near the Tanzanian border. Um, you can also drive up the escarpment look down, which makes for phenomenal views. Now, the habitats are mixed, but the escarpment generally receives more rain than the rest of the triangle, and it's well watered with plenty of grass. There are lots of springs with fresh water and lots of little lush green wetlands where streams disappear into the ground but maintain a high water table. These are especially favored by elephants between Sangaraya Bridge and the Olololo Gate, that is, you can see just by saying that, the water makes for many different mini biomes along the escarpment, and that's phenomenal. You might reasonably expect species which are attracted to rocky places to be resident on these slopes, like Klipspringer, Hyrax, Baboon, and Leopard, and they are definitely all there. In addition, there are deep shaded ravines enjoying almost rainforest-like conditions, for example, in the incised valleys above the Sangaraya Bridge, and high on the slopes further to the southwest. So you find a whole range of different species from elan and buffalo to elephant and giraffe and not many people, which is amazing. It's, I think a lot of people, they don't go and get the full experience in the Mara. They focus on the river only and not see all these other places, which is just absolutely stunning. Right, last one, the Inselberg country. Now, the final habitat we identified as a combination of several of the habitats already described. In the south of the triangle, mainly between Ngoriari Road and the main road, is an area of little hills called Inselbergs, meaning island hills. So Inselbergs is an old word meaning island mountains or island hills. The hills, which are 70 to 100 meters high, are flat-topped, and the summit is largely covered with thickets. Mostly they have a steep upper slope, which gradually becomes more gentle as it reaches the valley floor. For those of you that have driven with us out of the camp, it's when we go towards the Tanzanian border viewpoint and then up towards Egyptian waters, one of the waterholes. Those are the hills on the left-hand side. It featured, and I'm trying to remember what this movie was, I think it was a Disney documentary type movie and it was called Big Cats. I think it was called Big Cats. And they've got some fly-through footage of there, absolutely stunning. Now, the tops of the hills are usually rocky with, with occasional crags and the upper slopes are pretty stony with short, thin grass. The lowest slopes have taller grass and often... Valley bottom is a seasonal swamp with a permanently high water table enabling green, moisture-rich grass for most of the year around the base. The result of this little combination of landscapes is that within quite a small area, we see a range of wildlife adapting to quickly changing conditions and each having their own slot in the ecosystem. This is a habitat where you might want to stop for a while and just look. We often find lions up on those hills. So every year, obviously, the pride dynamics changes and we have to kind of 
as we get there. The guys are in, in, in Mara now setting up, figure out where these prides are moving, how did their territory shift. But driving through the Inselberg country there down in the south is absolutely stunning from a visual point of view, but I would highly recommend when you get there, put your binoculars on there and just scan. More often than not, you're going to find some lions on those hills. There's some leopards up there. And even if you're just into more wide-angle stuff of getting wider shots, really, really worth a look. So there we go, guys. A quick look at the biomes or the habitats within the Mara Triangle. Uh, very varied, where I think a lot of people make the mistake is they only photograph the grass plains and they only photograph the river. There is so much more. So if you're heading out to the Wild Mara camp this year, or even if you're going to another camp somewhere, make sure you try and shoot the diversity. One of the big things, just to go photographic here for a while, is in, uh, in Svalbard now, we spoke about the concept of you can either photograph a polar bear in its environment or an environment with a polar bear in it. Now, if you don't get the difference, I need you to listen to this again. You can photograph a polar bear in its environment or an environment with a polar bear in it. Yes? So when you go to the Mara, you can photograph a lion in its environment, but the closer you zoom in on the lion, the more uh, ambiguous it's going to be. It's just going to be a lion in an environment. But by pulling back and showing these different biomes, the Inselbergs, the grasslands, the river, the mountains, the escarpment, you're going to create different portfolios. And that, I think, is vital for pretty much any one of us who is shooting a place like that. Guys, if you have absolutely any questions, please let me know. Jerry at wildeye.com. That's G-E-R-R-Y at wildeye, two words, W-I-L-D hyphen E-Y-E.com. And I'd love to help. If you want to find out more about the Wild Eye Mara camp, same thing. Get in touch. You can also hit me up on social, Jerry Fennevolt, all one word. And also, if you want to find out more about this little Mara Triangle brochure, the official guide by David Watson, hit me up and I'll gladly share the details. For those of you that do visit the Triangle, you can pick these up either at the gate if you're self-driving in or then at the Serena airstrip if you land there. But if you're coming with us at Wild Eye, let me know and we can hook you up. As always, guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for lending me your ears. I will chat to you in the next episode. My name is Jerry. I'm from Wild Eye. Have a good one. Bye for now.